and welcome to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a look back at the modern rock charts one month at a time. I'm Will Westerkow, and this is February 1991. Joining me today is Orly. Yeah, that's me. Well, thanks for coming on. Glad to have you. You're so welcome. Any modern rock news? I'm going to get to see The Strokes for the first time in 14 years. Wow. So I'm pretty jazzed about that. That's exciting. They yeah. coming to Portland? They are coming to Vancouver and Seattle. All right. I'll do both. Okay. Why the heck not? Why not? I have some modern rock news as Let's well. Let's hear it. One of my favorite bands of this era, The House of Love, mm-hmm. they are doing a North American tour. Well, as they said, they'd never do. I think this is the first time they've done this in 32 years. Okay. Something like that. Wow. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I don't know. And if you've never seen them. I've never seen them. No, uh-huh. I didn't know who they were last time they were uh, playing in the U.S. Yeah, that's rad. If you have a chance, you should check it out. Yeah, House of Love. When they're going to be in Portland in May. Okay. Get your tickets before they sell out. Yeah. Here's something that I have never actually mentioned on the show before, mm-hmm. and that's what this show really is and why I'm doing it. So I thought, you know what? Why don't let's just take a minute and talk about that. Okay. I started the show mostly just for fun. I had a friend who was doing a podcast and he said he had a good time and he encouraged me to do it. And I was also looking for some new music. I was having trouble finding actual new music that I was enjoying. And I thought, you know what? This might be a good way for me to dig back a little deeper into some older music that I missed out on the first time and see if I can discover some stuff that I like. And this podcast has been great for that. I've discovered a ton of bands that I was either slightly familiar with or didn't know anything about. And it's been a really cool journey. I've definitely learned about a lot of new bands from this podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. So February 1991, when Mm -hmm. we start off the month, Sting is still on top for one week Mm. with all this time. In the second week of February, Jesus Jones takes the top spot on the modern rock charts and they hold that position for five weeks with their song Right Here, Right Now. That's the big hit. Absolutely. That's the one people remember them for. I have always thought of Jesus Jones as a one-hit wonder. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. No, if you have a song that big, even your dumpy runner-ups are going to get some play because of that first song. You say dumpy runner-ups, but right here, right now, made it to number two on the Hot 100. That's the pop charts. Mm -hmm. But they had another song, Real, 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 that went to number four on the Hot 100. They had another top 10 Billboard hit. Right, but you can't hum it. I've only heard the song once, and it was last week. So it's a dumpy runner-up that was riding on coattails. Okay, maybe. But still, that's, I mean, a number four hit? Yeah. A number four hit. It's not even a bronze medalist. No one remembers a number four hit. That's not true. There's plenty of number four hits people remember. I'm really looking forward to hearing this song. I don't think I've heard it in its entirety ever or in a very long time. You know what? I might not have heard it in its entirety, and there's a reason for that. It's like nine minutes long? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's because I'm not that into the song. Although maybe I'll listen to it in its entirety and I'll change my mind. We'll see. Yeah. Jesus Jones. They were formed in 1988 in Bradford on Avon in Wiltfordshire. Wiltfordshire. That sounds like a fancy place. I mean, I would have no idea at all. But it sounds it, fancy. It sounds fancy. It's like across the street from the palace. Yes. This is Americans' interpretation of British right. names of places. Right. Yeah. 
the band was apparently on vacation on a beach in Spain at some point. They sound like they oh, have money. Mm, sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Although, you know what? Maybe when you're in Europe, it's different. It is different. You just hop the train and it's you're on a true. beach in Spain. I mean, not really so much anymore, but in 1988, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there they were. But just going back, I think if you were <laughs> truly working class, you wouldn't like leave your neighborhood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's rich bastards on the beach. Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they're looking around and it occurs to them that they are a bunch of Joneses, okay. so to speak. And they were surrounded by a bunch of, as they termed them, Jesuses. Oh. And that struck them as funny or interesting. So uh, they're Jesus Jones? Well, I mean, they go by Jesus Jones, but... Yes, the band name is derived from Jesus and Jones. I feel like Jesus Jones sounds better. See, I was always confused by the name because I wasn't quite sure if this was like a person's name or if it was like, mm. I got a Jesus Jones. I'm Jones in for some oh, Jesus. Oh, dang. I never even thought about that. Right. Because remember, especially back in the 90s, everyone was Jones in for this and that. I was just like, this is not Jesus Lizard, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a different Jesus altogether. <laughs> Initially, this band was met with critical acclaim when they released their first album in 1989. That album was called Liquidizer. And their first single, Info Frico, sounds described it as the most outstanding and original debut of the year. And NME said, if Public Enemy worked with a young Phil Spector, they might sound this good, but I doubt it. Whoa. That's what I'm saying. Isn't it weird, though, sometimes you'll hear a review about something and the way they describe it, they think sounds great, but it actually sounds like your nightmare. Oh, so you're <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Public Enemy plus Phil Spector? No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to Info Freako. I thought it was okay. It was okay? Yeah, it was fine. Obviously, it's not going to have the same impact in mm-hmm. 2020 that it would have in 1989, mm-hmm. right? So in 1991, Jesus Jones released the album Doubt. It was a number one album in the UK. It went gold in the US. And most of the success of this album is due to the song we're going to hear today, right here, right now. I think it's pretty great. I was listening to all the little parts. That song is not long. No, you're right. It's barely over three minutes. They knew it's like, you can't go too far with it. Mm-hmm. Until you don't well, want it to get tired. There's not a lot to it lyrically. There really isn't. The song was inspired by some things going on in Russia and the mm. fall of the Berlin Wall. And Mike Edwards, he's like, I'm feeling excited about what's going on at this moment in history. Mm-hmm. Let me you know, make a song about this optimistic feeling. So I think he captured that. The song feels good. You you feel like you're part of that thing that's happening, but it's not a really deep sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I could never tell any of the history of it from what he said because he's kind of hard to understand, mm-hmm. first of all. But to me, it just sounds like mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I'm right here, right now. You know, there's no other place I'd rather be. Just like focusing on okay. the best parts of what's happening right now. It's like a meditation jam. Yeah. 
I've never truly just been like, I'm going to sit down and listen to this Jesus Jones mm-hmm. song. And it sounds very well put together. It and does. It sounds more interesting when, it does. You, when you sit and listen to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're using good equipment. Yeah, I feel like it's well written and well arranged, mostly even well produced, except that horrible guitar solo. Mm, you didn't like that one? Mm, no. <laughs> it sounds like a pop band on a TV show's guitar solo. Sure. Did all of the bouncy dance drums drop out during the solo? Yeah. It just seemed like it's a real dance track. Totally. And then all of a sudden for the solo, it's like, nope. Oh, yeah, yeah. It does. It just like stops the song dead in its tracks. And it's like, guitar solo time. You know what? I know what it's about. They didn't (laughs) want to submit a song that was like two minutes and 15 seconds. (laughs) They're like, I'm sorry, this needs more meat to it. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's the producer just wanking off. See? I think we've figured it out. Yes. Uh-huh. So in 1989, modern rock band Simple Minds, they covered Prince's Sign of the Times. And apparently Jesus Jones did not like their cover at all. They thought oh, it was terrible. Brother. But they were interested in the song. They were interested in how Prince had the song about like, hey, here's what's going on in the world. They thought it was too dark, too pessimistic. So they kind of wanted to build their own sign of the times, except happier. So when they originally made a demo of Right Here, Right Now, it was built on a two-bar drum loop sampled from Sign of the Times. It's still on there? It's not. But that's mostly because they did not want to get sued. But check this out. Jesus Jones released a bunch of mixes. Mm. They had like a single with a bunch of various. Oh, remix. They've got the hit radio mix. They've got the righteous radio mix. If you can find the Martin Phillips 12-inch mix of right here, right now, that version does contain the original Prince Sign of the Times drum loop sample. But do you have it? I do. Okay. Here it is. Before it was called Right Here, Right Now, it was actually called Nelson, named after Prince Rogers Nelson. Come on. They're loving on Prince. (laughs) I'm glad someone had a talking with them. They're hating on Simple Minds. They're loving on Prince. Wow. I mean, I guess it made their biggest hit, Mm -hmm. right? So it was a good thing they had this rivalry with Simple Minds. Mm -hmm. Although I don't think Simple Minds knew this rivalry existed. What do you mean, mate? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Jones. (laughs) That is what they sound like, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so this song subsequently appeared in a ton of commercials and video games. um, (laughs) And it was apparently used for both Bill Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign and Hillary Clinton's 2008 campaign. Oh my goodness. Yeah. How embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Jesus Jones is going to stay on the top of the modern rock charts for all of February. Ooh. Which all means... of February? We don't, we don't talk about any other band? Well, that was nice. Talk to you. What? <laughs> no, we have we have three other songs we're going to listen oh. to, as usual. So uh, we're going to move down to number two. In February 1991, Chris Isaac mm. peaked at number two on the modern rock charts with his song, Wicked Game. Mm. This may change how you feel about him. I don't know. In high school, he was the student body president. Oh, he brother. He was the valedictorian. <laughs> and this is my favorite. He was the head of an all-male cheer squad. I'm sorry. Did you say an all-male one? All-male. Yeah. He's like, I really love choreographed dancing and throwing my friends around. You know, he probably just had a lot of pep. <laughs> Not according to his biggest hit. So Chris Isaac is known for a 1950s rock and roll crooner sort of sound. Yeah. And 
at the age of 28 or 29 in 1985, Chris Isaac signed to Warner Brothers and he released his debut album. It got critical acclaim, but poor sales. Mm-hmm. But two songs from the album appeared in the David Lynch film Blue Velvet. I'm sure they did. In 1989, Chris Isaac released his third album, Heart Shaped World which peaked at number 149 on the album charts. So still three albums in. He's not doing great. Mm. But the next year, in 1990, David Lynch released the film Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. And the movie featured an instrumental version of Chris Isaac's song, Wicked Game. Mm-hmm. This led to an Atlanta radio DJ who started playing Wicked Game repeatedly on his radio station. Mm. Just one dude out in Atlanta... Loved David loved Lynch, it. loved the song. Isn't that cool, though, that like radio markets could do that? Yeah, absolutely. DJs could control what they were playing and shape listeners' ears. Exactly. So he was playing it a lot on his station. This led to the song getting released as a single. Mm. And once it was released as a single, it climbed to number six on the Hot 100 and uh, reached number two on the Modern Rock Charts, nearly two years after its original release. Wow. I was just going to say, I always think it's kind of funny and interesting when you've got a song that to me clearly sounds like a hit, Mm -hmm. but the record company didn't see that, didn't think it was going to be commercially viable. And it just boggles the mind. Like how would would someone not think that this song would be a big hit? I mean, isn't it just typical that the people on top making the decisions about lots of things don't know shit about yeah. what they're making decisions about. It sounds like you've had personal experience. With this. What? <laughs> Never. So number six on the Hot 100, number two on the Modern Rock Charts. Here it is. Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. I never dreamed that I'd meet somebody like you And I never dreamed that I'd lose somebody beautiful <laughs> getting a little misty eyed over there yeah wow just the sound quality of this thing it makes you stop in your tracks and yeah. go like what is this song yeah absolutely yeah and chris isaac sounds great his voice is really great it's so moody it's evocative it just like captures this feeling it does it really really well mm-hmm. the background singers to me are the only thing that slightly takes me out of it yep i agree and it's not a big deal. It's, it's not terrible. Yeah, it is. The whole song is just fits together so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And everything is so seamless. Yep. And when you hear that, it's just like something slightly against the grain. Yeah. It's like this song is him and he's commanding this thing. Oh, my thing. God. And then you're like, wait, who are these other people? Like, yeah. Yeah. What are they doing here? Yeah. Uh, that song, More Power to Him. Yeah. He deserves all his success from that song. Yeah. Okay, so you know how I also pick apart lyrics, and I hate to say anything bad about this song mm-hmm. because I love it. Okay. I just don't like songs where people say, you made me. Oh, okay. You made me feel this way. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty immature. Take responsibility for your own feelings, yeah. Chris. You're not a young guy anymore, you, you know? So it's like she's there and he's like, now you made me feel this way. You make me dream of you. She's a siren. 
She's tempting him with a, a song that he can't resist. Yeah, men are. They can't resist. Yeah. Did you see that <laughs> dress she wasn't wearing? <laughs> I she remember, made me. I remember like she's got like grains of sand on her mm, face. Mm-hmm. And it's just like really uncomfortable and sexy. The only way real sexy should be. Right. You have to be uncomfortable to be sexy. <laughs> Here's what I want to know. How long did they have to spend getting sand out of their various crevices? <laughs> oh, are they rolling out? around? I'm yeah, sure. weren't they? Definitely. So the video, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's black and white. <laughs> it features Chris Isaac and supermodel. Helena Christensen. Helena Christensen. Topless on a Hawaiian beach. This was voted the number one sexiest music video by Fuse in 2010. Ooh, although, Fuse. Although VH1 only ranked it as the fourth sexiest music video. Oh, what's sexier? I tried to look that up, but I could not find it. <laughs> I just want to know, I know what I, is actually I'm gonna sexier I'm going to watch these three sexier that. videos. Me too. Mm-hmm. In addition to his continuing music career, Chris Isaac has also done a lot of acting work. Yes. Including appearances on Friends, mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. Okay. And he had his very own TV comedy show called The Chris Isaac Show. <laughs> Like where he was the host? Yeah, that's it. And he's like, why don't you come sit down? I'm going to interview you. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every guest who comes up, he's like, whoa. <laughs> that's all he does. He just sings that song constantly. <laughs> he's like, welcome to my show. I'm going to serenade you with Wicked Game. <laughs> that would be so funny. <laughs> People have to sit there uncomfortably while he plays the guitar. Or you have to like reenact the video. You roll around <laughs> with Chris Isaac while you try to cover up your bare chest. Well, what did I get myself into? My agent said this would be a smart move coming on the Chris Isaac show. All right, we're going to keep going. The next song we're going to hear is from a band called Enigma. And this song peaked at number six on the modern rock charts in February of 1991. How many people in this band? The first album, it was three people working together. There's okay. like a lyricist and some music guys, but one of them is really like the, mm-hmm. the main driving force behind it. He's the Enigma. Mm-hmm. Okay. He is. So Enigma was the project of Romanian-German musician Michael Kratu. I don't really know how to pronounce mm-hmm. his name. I don't speak Romanian-German very well, mm-hmm. but we'll say Kratu. Kratu, okay. And he worked as a session musician and released a handful of German language solo albums throughout the late 70s and 80s. In the 80s, he also started working as a producer and songwriter for other artists, most notably a German singer named Sandra, Mm. who I had never heard of, but apparently she was very successful and she sold over 30 million. Sandra did? Sandra, yeah. Sandra sold over 30 million albums worldwide. At some point, she was outselling Madonna in certain European markets. Like Romania? Like possibly Romania, yeah, (laughs) maybe. Isn't that where Dracula lives? Cray. <laughs> Is that Transylvania? Isn't that in Romania? I hmm, <laughs> I thought it was it was its own country. And now it's I'm, probably, I'm second guessing it's that. It's probably a fake place. There's a bunch of listeners out there in Transylvania, <laughs> Romania, who are very upset right now at our lack of <laughs> geographical knowledge. We're American. We don't know where anything is. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, this is notable not just because he was producing a successful artist, but also in 1988, Kratu married Sandra. Mm. In 1990, Kratu started the musical project, which he called Enigma, and they released their debut album, M-C-M-X-C-A-D, which that's Roman numerals for 1990 A.D. Mm-hmm. 
And this was conceived as a new age world beat sort of project. And the first single, which is called Sodness. Oh, Sodness. And I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm British. That's not my Romanian German accent. Oh, no. Um, this is named after the Marquis de Sade. Oh. So it looks kind of like sadness, but there's an extra E in there. It's oddness. Sadness. Mm-hmm. And this song, unbelievably, reached number one in the UK and more than 20 other countries. This song was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was constantly. Number one all over the world. It sold over half a million copies in the US. The album sold over 14 million copies worldwide, and it stayed on the Billboard 200 album charts for 282 weeks. Yeah, that's four years. No, that's five years. It's a lot of years. That's five and a half years. Seven years. (laughs) Look, (laughs) I can count by fives (laughs) with a lot of tries. (laughs) So, Sadness, like I said, (laughs) named after the Marquis de Sade. Is that common knowledge? Do people know who the Marquis de Sade is? I thought it was pervert. Okay. Uh, we don't want to get into the Marquis de Sade. That's a different podcast. So we'll just go with pervert. <laughs> and we, that's, there's no judgment there. We love perverts on the show. This is a neutral pervert. Yeah. We've had plenty of perverts on our show before, and we welcome <laughs> we welcome them. It's like a D&D alignment. Neutral pervert? <laughs> Good pervert? Chaotic pervert? And the Marquis de Sade, I think, was chaotic pervert. <laughs> So sadness is built on a number of samples, and I think notably it's built on some Gregorian chant vocals. <laughs> some of my ancestors were Gregorian chanters, and are you, you, just, serious? you just offended my <laughs> heritage. Wait, are you serious? No. Oh. <laughs> Every one of my grandparents were monks. <laughs> Wait a minute. Sadness is built on a number of samples, some of them from some Gregorian chant vocals from a 1976 (laughs) album by the German choir Capella Antiqua München. The lyrics are mostly in Latin and some French, and they are sung by Sandra. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Sadinoa. You know the song. (laughs) Were you one of the 14 million who bought this album? No. You know what? I find this album a lot in the... Um, uh, the, the used the, bins? The Goodwill bins, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should buy every time you come across <laughs> it. Do you remember that... Uh, <laughs> was it a Mel Gibson movie where he had to buy the... He's like compulsive about buying Catcher in the Rye every time he saw a copy of it. Is that what women want? <laughs> <laughs> that was it? That was it? Yeah. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be the Mel Gibson uh, of... <laughs> Enigma albums. But not an anti-Semite. No, I'll be that too. I'm just going to go for it. Do you want to listen to Sodness? Yeah. Let's listen to Sodness. Here it is. Um, that song's a crack up. It always has <laughs> been. The radio station where I grew up, I think the reason why I heard it is because they used it a lot as mashup song. Mm. So it got a lot of mashups. Okay. 
because it's funny, I think. I think that not everyone sees it the same way as you. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people bought this as a comedy album. <laughs> like the, the 40 million people worldwide or whatever it was. But you know what? I mean, what about like Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love? Mm-hmm. A classic. Yeah, but it's like a funny song. It's over the top. I mean, yes, it's fun to sing, but like in a fun, funny way. Not like an, I'm, I'm seriously into this. I'm seriously into it, but in a fun, funny way. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Why are people buying it? Let me start with this. I completely missed out on this song the first time okay, around. Okay. And all the times around. Oh, you I, never heard it before this? I don't think so. Maybe I heard a, clip, a clip here or there, but this one was completely off my radar. Okay. <laughs> um, it is boggling my mind that this was a huge hit. I've literally heard that song at least a hundred times. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> The video was on all the time. Who would want to watch this video? It's pointless. Did it have like a topless no, Helena No, it was super boring. I feel like it was like a benign video that they would play like in a waiting room. Yeah, benign, benign and a half. <laughs> but uh, clearly there's a market for that. Yeah. Here's maybe a guess. A few times Enya has shown up on the Modern Rock sure. chart. She was having some big it's heads. It's a similar feeling. Um it kind of seems like there's a big market for... New Age. Yes. So big market for New Age. And maybe there's just not enough artists creating music at that point in that genre. Right. But don't you feel like Enigma did this a little tongue in cheek? Like it's a super sexy song in a way. Like they've got that girl panting mm-hmm. and they've got that whole like spoken word. And she sounds very like turned on. Mm-hmm. But then they have these monks who are like very chaste singing. Yeah. So it kind of seems like they're putting that together to like, it's supposed to be a little provocative. I mean, I don't even begin to get this song. I don't get why people would want to listen to this multiple times. Well, I didn't mean to. It was just like <laughs> everywhere. Let me talk about you. Why did you seek this one out and listen to it a hundred like times? Dozens of times. They loved to mash it up. They loved to play the video. And I think because it was so weird and funny, I'm serious. Okay, maybe. But it's a special song that can reach number one in more than 20 countries, right? Mm-hmm. Like it somehow has a universal appeal. It's reaching something that is speaking to people across language and culture. Okay, but at the time when this song came out, I thought them and Erasure were the same band. So I was like, they've really taken a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> but I guess this fits. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> Maybe they got a new guitarist or something. (laughs) Let me just say this is kind of a final thing about the song. (laughs) The one thing that kept coming up over and over and over in message boards when people talked about the Mm -hmm. song is that people like to have sex to sadness. See? Okay, Mm -hmm. that's why. It's not funny. They're boinking to it. (laughs) They're getting their boink on. Yeah, for some reason, a lot of people hear the song and they're like, yes, this is a song that I want to have sex to. It is sexy, but it's naughty because you're not supposed to do it in church. And I think that's a huge fantasy for people. Okay. It's the uh, taboo. Yeah. You're not allowed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's a sex song. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That literally makes sense. Because when I have sex, I listen to Adam Sandler's (laughs) They're All Gonna Laugh at You. And uh, that works for me, but... Different strokes, as they say. <laughs> Should we move on? Yeah. We're going to hear a song that reached number 10 on the modern rock charts. It's a band that I had never heard of before. There's that new band you're looking for. There it is. Exactly. Not only that, but this one is out of print. 
Mm, That's what I double look for. It's rare. Rare. (laughs) So this is a band called They Eat Their Own. Gross. (laughs) Does this seem like a a title they got from an old horror movie, maybe? I'm not sure. Well, you know what? Maybe an old, like, pulp novel. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I don't really know where they got the name of the band from. Like many of these more obscure bands from the era who broke up before the internet era, it's kind of hard to find good information about uh, Oh, so if they broke up, they're not that big, and Mm -hmm. they broke up before the internet, it's like they never existed. Sort of. Whoa. And especially if their album's out of print. But I do know a little bit about this band. It's led by singer-songwriter Laura B., She's Mm -hmm. got a last name that's a little hard to pronounce, Mm -hmm. but she went by Laura B. And the band was formed sometime around 1989. The scant facts I could find out about her is that she's a Yugoslavian-American, a vegetarian, at least as of 1992. And at some point, she was a CNN junkie with a crush on Wolf Blitzer. Wow. Are you like reading her online dating profile? Yeah, no. I found like (laughs) a really old, hilarious interview with her. And that's about all I could find. (laughs) My favorite thing about this band, perhaps, is that their guitarist's name was Shark Darkwater. <laughs> Shark Darkwater? That's awesome. Yeah, that's about the best name I've ever heard. What about Dark Sharkwater? I just feel like he was watching the Pirates of Darkwater. But that, yeah, that was about 1991, absolutely wasn't it? absolutely was. Yeah. They're like, what are you going to go by? It's like, I don't want to use my real name, Wendell Plinkington. <laughs> Uh, Shark Darkwater? Yeah. We'll call you that to your face. (laughs) Here's the crazy thing about that, though. You would think that Shark Darkwater would be a very searchable guitarist online. He is not. (laughs) I can't find anything about Shark Darkwater. quotes around that? Yeah, all I'm finding is a bunch of, like, crappy movies for the Sci-Fi Channel or something. Oh, dang. I guess I do know this. They had a minor hit, a number 10 modern rock hit with a song called like a drug and that's what we're gonna hear oh okay their one and only hit this is it this is it here it is I gotta say, I like that song. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, it reminded me a lot of like in the mid '90s when all those like lady rockers were up. Where uh, there was just a whole explosion of women rockers. Yeah. And you know, well, hey, this is 1991. This is pretty early. I mean, yeah. In that context, this seems like uh, a predecessor to that stuff. Sure. Right? It seems like absolutely. I mean, I don't know if any of those other women heard this song and were influenced. Mm-hmm. I have no way to know that. Right. But um, I don't know. I feel like this song deserves to be heard. I think it deserves to be like part of that conversation of like women in alternative rock. Sure. I know they weren't around long enough. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it was. So I can speak to that a little bit. Apparently... They wrote songs for a second album. They had 25 songs written. Mm. They thought they had a record deal with Geffen. It was a verbal agreement. And uh, they never got it in writing. And the whole record deal disappeared. 
they couldn't get another deal. So what you can't take their word for can't it. Can't trust Geffen with the mm. with just the word. Mm-hmm. And that was it. They never got another deal. The band broke up. They went their different ways. And uh, the last I could find, Laura B was living in Pittsburgh. Maybe she went from L.A. to Pittsburgh. I think so. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Man. I don't want to sell her out. Maybe she's in hiding. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's Pittsburgh? <laughs> I don't know nothing about Pittsburgh. Yeah, I just... Except I mean, Laura B's there. If you want me to start shit-talking more towns, <laughs> let me talk to you about Pittsburgh. I've never been there. <laughs> I've heard it's nice. <laughs> I've heard that the entire state of Pennsylvania is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, what are you talking about? Isn't the Liberty Bell there? It's the one thing, okay? The Liberty Bell. <laughs> Some of my finest listeners are from Pennsylvania. <laughs> of course, they live in the best parts. Yeah. <laughs> Where little cracks of sunlight gets through. <laughs> okay, so they disappeared. This was a blip. Yeah, so Laura B. off to Pittsburgh or wherever. Yeah. Sharky Darkwater, <laughs> whatever his name is. Sharky. Probably still tooling around LA, maybe. Are we sure that this is not Tracy Bonham? Yeah, no, this is not Tracy Bonham. The voice is very similar. The lyrics are a little... Hmm. A little clunky. Yeah, and here's the thing. Actually, <laughs> I, I actually do know more about this band than I than I let on because I did track down a copy of this CD. Oh, okay. Because so you've heard more songs. I've heard the whole album three times. And? It's interesting because this song is a very much an anomaly. Oh, the they album. don't sound like this. They don't sound like this. It sounds like a band trying to find their sound still. Oh, uh-huh. So you might have got a slight sense of this from the solo, but Shark Dark Water is very much in the metal camp. Yeah, for sure. Like the, the hair metal camp. But you know, it also gave me a little bit of a um, concrete blonde vibe. Mm-hmm. And that's... That solo. Or the vibe of the song. More of this song than the other songs. Got it. Sometimes I feel like they sound like Joan Jett. Mm. Sometimes it seems like some of the band is playing a light version of hair metal while Laura B is inspired by some of the hardcore punk scene. And mm. she's doing really like chant vocals where she's got a message that she's trying to get across mm. and she's just like repeating it over and over. Mm. So she's got one where she's like, too many guns in America, too many guns in America. Got it. She's got songs about... Oh my gosh, I bet she's really upset about the amount of guns in America now. I'm sure, yeah. Um, she's got one of the funniest songs is Cancer Food and she's just singing about like, don't eat those foods, they'll give you cancer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like hot dogs and this and that. I wonder thing. why these guys didn't catch on. Um <laughs> So yeah, it is. She's very sincere, but it comes off like a college sophomore who right. just got into some causes. And I'm not saying her causes are bad; like they're no, great. Yeah, and I think it's cool that she's singing about them. But yeah, the the whole thing it's it's not sophisticated. It's not. No, it's not. And sometimes the lyric and the delivery is just a little not there. Uh huh. Uh, I don't actually think that because the lyrics do come off as kind of rough drafty. Uh huh. <laughs> You know what I mean? First draft. Yeah. The way she delivers them is endearing to me. Yeah, right. I think the album is endearing. Yeah. And and I like it enough. I think it's enjoyable enough that I really would have liked to have heard a follow-up album and see where this band went. Where their voice was. Right. Especially since we know what's going to happen in the alternative music scene. Like, would this band have continued with kind of a hair medley sort of thing? Or would they have followed more in the line of like a drug and gone yeah. more in kind of an alternative sound. Totally. And so I'm, I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to hear those songs. I was also going to say that that song is free 
of figurative language. It's mm-hmm. like very on the surface, although the title is a simile. Yes, <laughs> yes. Although, you know, I did kind of like what she's singing about. Yeah. Uh, she's saying, I've got this relationship and I know it's a terrible relationship yeah. and I don't want to be in this, but yeah. what can I do about it? Right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I need my fix. <laughs> gonna put on a little sodness and uh, <laughs> we're gonna, what do you say? We're going to boink. Hey, hey, buddy. Ready yeah. to boink? <laughs> I know I shouldn't be boinking, but uh, there it is. Okay, I guess that's it. That's February 1991. Well, what a month. That was kind of a weird one. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all of those songs except sadness, but I enjoyed that in a different way. I You're right. I enjoyed it in a different way too. Okay, but I think it's funny mm-hmm. that a song that millions of people are boinking to mm-hmm. is one that I'm like, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. Like, some people they're like, ooh, sex. It's so sexy. And some people are like, sex, that's you know, inherently ridiculous. It's a very funny thing. It really is a very funny thing. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our songs. Orly, is there anything uh, exciting going on? Anything you want to plug? Yeah, catch me at the Strokes show, um <laughs> March fifth and ninth. Okay. I'll be there. And you said Vancouver and Seattle. Vancouver and Seattle, and I'll be singing my heart out in the audience, of course. Right on. So (laughs) if you want to hang out with Orly, you know where to find her. Um, Let's see. Anything else? Yeah. You know what? It would be really great if all of you listeners could head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Yeah. That would be great. It gets listenership out there. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful. It gets the word out. Yep. Mm -hmm. If you want to contact me, You can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Orly, thanks for coming on the show again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. Yeah, anytime. I'm sure (laughs) sure you'll be back. And uh, we'll catch you next time in March of 1991. Woohoo!